It is good to see each of you this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. We are happy and proud that you're here with us at the White Oak Church of Christ. It's always a pleasure to come and be with you. Uh, it's always seems like something is missing for me when I'm not here. I want to be here. And uh, last Wednesday night, of course, I was over at East Ridge Congregation and I missed being here with the brethren. When we think about our Lord, there are so many wonderful aspects of His life. When we begin to consider the things and the events surrounding His life, we think of His wonderful prayer life. We think of His compassion and His benevolence toward those with, uh, uh, to whom He extended His uh, emotion and His thoughts. We think of His devotion to the Father as He... Uh, lay in the garden prostrate, prostrate praying to the Father and, and begging Him if there was any other way but not my will but Thine be done. We think of all these wonderful aspects of our Lord. We think of His great preaching. We open our Bibles and we read through uh, uh, Matthew chapters 5 through 7 and we read about that Sermon on the Mount and we, we hear those words that He spoke that are so relevant to us today. We think about His teaching as He sat at the well and he spoke with the woman or he uh, spoke with Nicodemus or he went to the home of the little man Zacchaeus. And we think of all these wonderful aspects of his life. When I think of his teaching in that aspect of his life, I cannot help but think about the parables of which he spoke. He did much of his teaching by use of the parable. He was the greatest preacher, the greatest evangelist, the greatest speaker, the world has ever known he was a giant among men and he was God as he walked upon the earth and is God. This morning, I want us to contemplate one of the parables. I want us to think about the parable of the barren fig tree. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 6, the Lord said, A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and he sought fruit thereon, and he found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I dig around it, and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if it not, then after that thou shalt cut it down. Those who hear the parables or read the parables or who are familiar with this literary genre, they have come to expect a story that is believable, right? That's one of the characteristics of a parable. In his book, The Parables of the Kingdom, notice what C.H. Dodd emphasized as he spoke about the credibility of the parable, saying this, he said, all is true to nature and to life. Each is a perfect picture of something that can be observed in the world of our experience. Well, that's one of the characteristics of a parable. It's something that did happen, or at least it was something that could happen. We think about the parable of the sower. Maybe that's the most well-known of the parables. And in my mind, when I read through there, I, it's as if I can see a man in the background of our Lord speaking and teaching, sowing the seed. And he's talking about that. 
When we undertake a study of the parables, though, I think we need to take a look at the surrounding context. As we notice the parables, a lot of the parables were given in response to requests that were made. A lot of the parables were uh, spoken because of the actions of someone, whether it was the Pharisees or whoever it may have been. Some of the parables were spoken in an accusation that was made toward Christ Himself. Two of the parables we learned, they were spoken on feast days. And a lot of the parables, as we look at them, may even give their purpose. So when we look at the parables, it is always good to understand the circumstances surrounding the parable so that we might truly understand what the Lord was talking about. I want us to notice in our parable, prior to Jesus speaking this parable, He was interrupted. So men came to Him and began to tell Him about those who were offering sacrifice and Pilate murdering them and mingling their blood with the blood of their sacrifice. He was interrupted with current news, wasn't he? Now I don't know if this news had just reached that area wherein Jesus was or if it was just the topic of the day and it was on everyone's mind, but they found the need to come and interrupt our Lord to tell Him about this murder that had taken place. John Franklin Carter, he speculated as to why Pilate killed these people. He said, were they fomenting a rebellion against Rome? He said, were they dedicating themselves in a burnt offering to the carrying out of such a rebellion? If not guilty, did Pilate suspect them of seditious activity? Well, whatever the reason for the massacre... Christ turned the interruption into an opportunity. And He turned it into an opportunity to speak about something that these people needed to hear. I want us to back up in our chapter of Luke 13. And let's begin with verse 2. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Now history doesn't give us any indication of uh, the circumstances of either of these tragedies. We're not aware of why those things happened. Whoever the victims were, though, notice what the Jews had concluded. They were sinners above everyone else, and had they not been sinners, these terrible things would not have happened to them. But you know, prior to this, just previous to this, our Lord taught in John 9, verse 3, that you cannot look upon an individual and say that because something has happened to him, that he is or she is a sinner. That's not how God operates in this world, is it? So in His rebuke, I want us to notice that God said, everyone prior to coming to God, they're sinners. Romans 3.23 And all those who are sinners are worthy of death. Romans 6.23 Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. I believe Jesus had 
come to a completely different conclusion concerning the events that, of which was spoken. Detecting the marks, I believe, of a self-complacent attitude. Jesus saw in them this erroneous belief that they were saved from any kind of a disaster, therefore God was pleased with them. Well, that wasn't the case, was it? So to correct that, the Lord began this parable, the parable of the barren fig tree. So as we pass from the context of this parable, of uh, the circumstances in which the Lord spoke it, over to the message, I want us to notice in our first point is that there was a design in the vineyard of this parable. There was a certain man whom Jesus portrayed and he did something. He planted a fig tree. He planted a fig tree in the vineyard he owned, and from the soil which he had, in which he put that tree, it should have gained all it needed and had access to everything it needed to produce fruit. Yet it did not. I want us to also notice that this tree was planted. It was a deliberate action. It was planted in a vineyard, It was not foreign or forbidden to the vineyard. It didn't just spring up as a wild tree just springing up into the ground because they took good care of their soil. Notice Deuteronomy 22 verse 9, Moses commanded, You shall not sow your vineyard with diverse or various seeds, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of the vineyard be defiled. Instead, this tree was deliberately planted. It was on purpose. It was planted in a vineyard that it had no right to. It didn't have a title to it. It was planted in a wonderful spot in the vineyard where the soil was good and it could receive all that it needed to receive to bear fruit. And this certain man desired that particular tree adapted by its nature to produce figs. He desired it. And he designed its position within the vineyard in a prominent spot, a place where it could receive all that it needed, in a place where it could be taken care of and tended to. He had great access to it. The tree had access to the vine dresser. And so it was by design that all of these things happened. I think this language is very precise. I think when we look at this parable, the fig tree was planted within the borders. It was put in a favorable spot, and the certain man expected fruit. I think one of the keys of the parable is furnished for us by its occasion. The privilege of the fig tree that was planted illustrated the Jewish nation. I want us to notice what A.B. Bruce said. A.B. Bruce said a vine was a more winsome emblem of Jewish national life, more so than a fig tree, and that Jesus employed the latter symbol for the purpose of lowering the pride of those who were listening to Him. Now that may have been one reason, perhaps, of why Jesus chose a fig tree over a vine, but I want us to notice the importance of the fig tree in the life of the Jew. It was very important. The earliest mention of the fig tree is found in Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? When the first couple who had sinned against God, they took the leaves from this fig tree, they sewed them together, and they made aprons to hide their nakedness. Figs were 
an important diet staple for the people. Do you recall when Israel had left Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness and in the, in the book of Numbers there are about 10 or 11 occasions where they murmured against God and on one of those occasions they murmured because they didn't have figs and they longed to go back to Egypt. Because of its long maturation process, the fig tree came to represent prosperity and peace. Notice what is recorded in 1 Kings 4.25. In Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. So we see this certain man, he had a design. He planted a tree that was privileged. He expected fruit. But notice that his design soon gave way to disappointment. That's our second point. After all this time and care and money, the man went out to the tree and he wanted to see fruit. He was expecting fruit. Notice what he said. These three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Now that doesn't mean that he allowed this tree to grow for three years and then that all of a sudden one day he came out to look for fruit. Under the law of Moses, the fig tree could not, uh, you could not take fruit from it for the first three years. On the fourth year, the fruit belonged to God. So this tree had to be at least seven years old by the time the parable was spoken. What is indicated is he went out the first year looking for fruit. He went out the second year looking for fruit. And those first two years were just as disappointing for him as this third one. He expected to find something on that tree. But for three years there was no fruit. Fruitlessness is an indicator of barrenness. It just simply was not going to produce fruit. And just like the man in this parable, God will not accept fruitlessness or barrenness. Notice what Peter warned, 2 Peter 1, beginning with verse 5. He said, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound... They make you that ye shall neither be, here it is, barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his disappointment, the man saw no fruit, but he saw a whole lot of frustration. He was frustrated. And so he gave the command, cut it down. Get rid of it. It's taken up a spot in the place where something else could grow. Something could be planted there and it could bear fruit and it could give me what I expect for it to give me. And he was entitled to expect fruit, yet those expectations were not realized. What is the interpretation here of these three disappointing, fruitless years? Will many believe it to be the three years that Christ walked this earth in His ministry? That may be so. Some believe it goes all the way back to the beginning of time and you have three dispensations in God's history. You have the patriarchal law under which Adam and Noah and Job and those men lived. You have the law of Moses under which 
the last 40 years of his life, Moses lived, King David lived, Solomon lived, our Lord lived under that law. And then you have the third dispensation under which we live, the Christian dispensation. That may be so, I don't know. But here's what I do know. I do know that whatever it represents, that God, through life, parable, miracle, and teaching, He tried to make Israel fruitful. He digged around the tree. He tried to allow it to produce something. Now, from time to time, there were signs that it was producing fruit. But ultimately, what did they do? They rejected our Lord, the Lord over who nurtured Israel. The Lord who worked the soil. The Lord who wanted Israel to produce fruit. He looked for He looked for holiness. He found contempt. Our Lord longed for reverence. He found hatred. He wanted love and obedience. That's all He asked for. He worked the tree. He found none of that. You know, I want us to notice this tree though. The tree was willing to content itself to sit in the corner to enjoy the divine providence of the soils and the rain, the vine dresser tending to it, it was content for all of that, yet it still refused to produce fruit. So there came a command, cut it down, cut it down. But, we read about a keeper in the vineyard, don't we? We read about a keeper. There was a design, We see that this design did not fulfill itself. And so this keeper asked for a delay. This is our third point. His request was granted. Interceding on behalf of the tree, he said, Lord, let it alone this year also. Let me dig around this tree. Let me do something for it. Let me see if I can help it. Let me see if I can correct this barrenness. Do you feel the emotion in that? Let's read it with the same mind in the same eyes as when the Lord said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There, that is the emotion in that statement. Father, let it alone this year also. Time. Give me time. Give me time to see if I can stop this continual barrenness. But I want us to notice there's one very important thing that the vine keeper did not ask for. He did not ask for a permanent state of fruitfulness. He did not ask for a continual time when this tree could be allowed to be fruitless. He simply asked for a short period of time. He said, give me this year. I just want one more year. If other attention had been given to the tree and the fruit had been produced, the man would have gladly allowed that tree to stay in its same position in the vineyard. Yet if it did not produce fruit, he would have allowed this vine dresser, he would have allowed it to be abandoned to its deserved fate. All that requested was a short delay. That's all he wanted. But what exactly was this vine dresser, or for what was he really asking? He made a request, and it was a delay, but what are we talking about here? This vine dresser was asking for repentance. That's really what it is all about. Let's go back and remember the historical context. The Galileans had been killed. 
The people misunderstood that to mean that they were more sinful than any other person. They got what they had coming to them. Do you not believe that one's concept of God is vitally connected to whether he or she will be obedient? Well, it has to be, doesn't it? What about one who falsely assumes that his difficulties in life are because of something God has done? We think about Job, don't we? He had those good friends that came to him and said, Oh, Job, you would not suffer in such a way if you were not guilty of sin. Repent of your sin, Job. Quit lying about what you've done. What about those who who believe that they have achieved their station in life at their own hand without any help from God? What kind of attitude is that? How often have you heard someone say, you go to a funeral, I was just at a funeral home not too long ago, someone had passed away and a person said to me, well God called him home. God murdered that individual? No. What about those who make choices in life and, and uh, sometimes they're bad choices and it leads to their death in some way and, God, and someone says, well God had a greater purpose. What about the infant that passes away in, in a tragedy or just simply does not have the ability to thrive in this life and, and dies as an infant? Did God somehow say, I want to populate heaven with people like this? And, and so God brought that individual to Him? That's absolutely incorrect. Good and perfect gifts come down from the Father. God doesn't murder people. He doesn't cause terrible things to happen. I understand what people mean when they say that. But let's really think about what we're saying before we say something. I think we're too fast to blame God for the tribulations that happen in this life. God doesn't cause bad things to happen. Notice what Jesus was asked about. He was asked about the Galileans that Pilate murdered. Not the ones God killed. Pilate murdered some people. He was asked about those people. Who's to blame then for the barren reaction of Judaism to the teachings of Jesus? Should we blame God for that? Should we blame the the men on whom the tower fell and killed? Were they somehow more sinful than anyone else? No, absolutely not. God didn't kill those people. And God didn't cause Israel to be disobedient. Jesus is insisting, Israel, you're the barren fig tree. You're going to have to do something. You're going to have to give in to this this help I'm trying to give you. I'm trying to work around the, the fig tree. I'm trying to help it produce fruit. The certain man represents God, and he desired a fruitful nation. Didn't Isaiah talk about that? Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. God wanted a fruitful nation. He expected a fruitful nation. But the fig tree, Israel, produced no fruit. The plea of the vine dresser, give me one more year. Who's the vine dresser? It's our Lord, isn't it? Give me another year. Let me have one last effort to summon Israel to repentance. Let me do one more thing. Do you remember when he stood out and he looked over the city and he, and he wept and he said, I would have been like a mother hen? gathering the chicks under my wing, but you wouldn't allow it. You didn't want that, but that's what I would have done. Give me one more year. 
And that nation only rejected God. And they blamed Him for being lost. Romans chapters 9 through 11. They blamed God. It's your fault. We're lost and it's your fault. If we're lost, we better look at ourselves for the condemnation that God's going to bring to us. We better look inward. But there's a tendency in people to love self over everything else. Paul addressed that mindset in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. And we're not going to read that, but I want you to read it. But let's just mention a few things about it. Paul said, as Israel came out of Egypt, verses 1 through 4, that they were baptized into Moses. What did they do? They fell away from God. Through verse 10, they fell away from God and they turned to idolatry. They didn't want God anymore. But when did they reject God? When did they actually reject God? They were free from Egypt. They had escaped that certain death. And they were sitting at the foot of this mountain. Moses went up on that mountain for 40 days and they thought they had been abandoned. So to console themselves, they turned to idolatry. They began to worship a golden calf made by a man from something that God created. They were worshiping the creature rather than the Creator, Romans chapter 1. That's when they fell. They thought they were all alone in the world. They had this mindset that all my problems are the worst that anyone could have. We've been abandoned and no one's ever seen it as bad as I've seen it. And so we're going to have to take care of it ourselves. We're going to have to use our own power. We're going to have to do something because God can't help us. How terrible their lives were and it was all God's fault. That's backwards thinking. And like those in Paul's day, those at the foot of Mount Sinai, they had the wrong concept of God. When a Christian gets to believing that his problems or her problems are the greatest in the world, the greater than any, no one has ever suffered the way I've suffered. They have entered the sinful world of idolatry. We don't understand that sometimes. When we begin to believe that we stand alone in our trouble, that is when we must take heed lest you fall. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Self-pity rooted in self-love, and that's idolatry. That's idolatry. So what is the connection? What's our Lord talking about? He was teaching that any trial in life that we experience can happen to anybody. I'm not somehow some kind of a, a special situation because something has happened to me. Didn't He say, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, For there hath no temptation or test taken you, but such as is common to men. He finished that statement by saying, Though you may be tempted... I'm going to give you an avenue of escape? Sure he did. There's a story of an imaginary conversation between a farmer and a tree, and the farmer had planted a tree, and he goes out and he says, I planted your tree and, and you're not producing fruit. Why? He says, well, I tried to produce some fruit, and it was really exhausting for me to do that. And when I did, you know, some of it would fall off, and it would rot, and then they would come, the workers, and they'd break my limbs, and, and they, would, uh, they wouldn't handle me easily and so you know I just quit producing fruit and on top of all of that farmer he said, you, no one ever came by and told me thank you no one ever acknowledged that I produced fruit 
So I quit producing fruit. Now what do you expect? He said, well, I expect you'll make a good log for my fireplace is what I expect. Isn't that what happens to fruitless trees? So what's the application of the barren fig tree? The unrepentant sinner is fruitless. He's taking up space in this world. He's not being obedient to God. He's not helping his fellow man. We can't be a barren fruit tree. That's not, that's not good. And we're trying to blame God for our problems. We ought to look at ourselves sometimes, right? We're not unique above all others. Our problems are not just the greatest in the world. We have problems that are common to all people. But don't be a barren fruit tree. In this parable, Jesus taught repentance, and that's demanded. And we see it from Genesis through Revelation. Repentance is demanded. What did John the baptizer preach when he came preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Jesus and the apostles preach when they came? Repentance. When He gave the Great Commission, Luke chapter 24, what was part of that? Repentance. Did it happen? Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized to every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Those people were not barren fig trees. They produced repentance, and they became members of the Lord's church. But repentance is difficult. Repentance is difficult. I believe that the, that the Bible spends so much time on repentance because it's the most difficult aspect of obedience to God. Why is that? Well, first of all, it strikes to our pride, doesn't it? We don't like being wrong. And we certainly don't like being told about it. But there's something else about repentance. True repentance requires a true change of lifestyle, Right? We have to change our lifestyle. And that's hard to do. And if we don't, we'll all likewise perish. I want us to conclude with this thought. I want us to take away two things. As we consider the barren fruit tree, I notice, or I want us to notice that the man had a design in the vineyard. He received disappointment. He was asked for a delay. And when we look at all of that, here's something we can know. We can understand unless we surrender to God, there will be universal consequences. Why should I be obedient? Why should I? What is it about God that I ought to be obedient? What if I don't repent of my sins? You shall all likewise perish. There's universal uh, consequences. There's going to be universal consequences. I think Jesus was talking about All people having to change their minds and their hearts. He said, repent. Do you think He was warning them to stay away from that wall in Siloam? Do you think He was warning them, don't irritate Pilate because he'll kill you as well? No, we're talking spiritually repent, right? Also, there are unceasing consequences. All will perish. That's not going to stop. That's not going to stop. Everyone's going to perish if we don't repent. Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And He's going to fulfill His promises. God wants all people to repent. 2 Peter 3, 9. If there are any here today that have not done that, if you're not a Christian in the Lord's church, you're not a member of the New Testament church, through faith, believing that Jesus is exactly who He said He was, Repentance, that's what the barren fig tree parable is all about. Changing life. Having an opportunity. 
having time in this life as we live in the message that can save, confessing that Jesus is the Son of God, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, and living a faithful life, not being barren. Do that today before we leave. If you've done that, yet you've stepped outside the light, repent of those things. Come back to the Lord. We'll pray with you and for you, and He'll accept you back into the fold. If you have need to answer this Lord's invitation, please do that as we stand and as we sing.